welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leela McRae. <laughs> Joe, we've had a good March here, and now it's, excuse me, April, and we've had plenty of basketball to watch. And I know we held recording of this opening segment for the men's tournament final, which is usually must-watch TV, something we're all excited about, but We'll talk about the women in a minute, but that that seemed to overshadow the excitement that the women's tournament, especially with us with having a local interest, um, it really overshadowed the men's the end of the men's tournament as it's not just for us, I think for a lot of people, because the ratings were way down for this matchup. Uh, the final four wasn't great uh, ratings, and then the final was down too. And it it was because it wasn't that interesting of a game on Monday night for the final because anybody that flipped over there after 920 when the game finally got going, you know, saw a wide open game for the most part. It got a little closer towards the end, but it, it still, it just wasn't even an interesting blowout. I'll give the women game and that we'll talk about in a minute. At least it was an interesting blowout. There was stuff going on and stuff to, to see and, and that would spark comment. Um, but the men's game just kind of happened and UConn won and establishing themselves. If there was a question, if they're a blue blood, they're a blue blood uh, having won. That's their fifth national champion in the last 25 years. Um, I think I already consider them that, but that was a big talk after the national championship game, but just kind of, you know, the tournament every year comes in like a line and this one especially went out like a lamb. Yeah, uh, I think the only interesting storyline in this final four, um, I mean, I enjoy the Cinderella's more than most. And I watched the parts of the Florida Atlantic San Diego State game that I could watch. The end of that game was great. Yeah, the end of that game was great. But then I tuned out of the Miami UConn game because it was it was over. UConn yeah. went up and that's early. What UConn did to everybody. Yeah, UConn goes up early. They stay on them early, and then they blow them out. And it's just not. Right. It's not UConn's fault. It's like when UConn women yeah. were dominating. It's not their fault that they're great, but them blowing everybody out kind of makes it not interesting. Um, I think the ratings were bad. Uh, one because you had three Cinderellas in the final four, which doesn't help for TV ratings typically. And even UConn, to an extent, was a Cinderella because they—I think they were a four or a five seed. Yeah. So yeah, they weren't—they weren't one of the expected champions. I know, I know in our bracket for Yak Sports, no one picked UConn. So right there, there's you know thirty, twenty, whatever many people in it, twenty some people that didn't think UConn was going to um, make it. And then I think the other reason that the ratings keep going down—I'm sorry—you cannot tip off games at nine twenty. On the East they Coast. Do it. You cannot do it. You are not yeah. the NFL. You're just not. And, and as but soon as NFL people realize that. NFL does 820. That's I mean, true. They, they, NFL they, doesn't play at 920. Like, I, you got to realize who you are and who you aren't. And you are not bigger than the NFL. And if the NFL is not kicking off games post 920, you sure as hell shouldn't be doing it. And now, so. It's I, it. Basketball does operate in a two-hour window, so they're like, okay, we're going to dominate this primetime, East and West Great. Coast. Great. Play it at 8.30. Know? And But when people – I don't know. There's a lot of people that if the games don't even start until 9.20, they know they're not going to make the end of it. You know, they, they're not even going to get there for it. 
And the NFL, at least they start at 820 where, you know, if it starts off tight, both teams score or, you know, anything, it, it could keep your interest. But when it's not even start till 920, some people don't even turn that on. So I, I completely agree with you. Baseball did this. Baseball started having World Series games later and later and later. And this past year, they committed to a little bit closer to 8 o'clock. And, and even uh, they had the Saturday game start at 730. Like, they, they, they're recognizing that. College basketball has to do the same. I don't see why it can't tip off at 5-whatever on the West Coast. Because there's more people on the East Coast. You want those people watching this game. And I don't, I don't get why they continue to do this. Yeah, and I mean, I they said even, I, you know, reading into some of those ratings, I, I know I sent you one thing on it's the record low, and they were saying last year was Kansas, North Carolina. That game was on TBS, and it outrated this game on CBS, which yeah. should be alarming. There's no way a game played on TBS, which I remember thinking last year, why is this game on TBS? Um, but <sighs> the fear of this is one of the factors that broadcast partners of college football playoff have in mind, that they, they don't want to have a situation where their biggest games have more and more teams that, pe- that, aren't, that aren't Blue Bloods. This is what they Here's the difference, though. Here's the like difference, that. Leland. One, it's harder to pull off upsets in football than it is in basketball. But two, it's football. People will watch the college football national championship, no matter who's in it, they'll watch. It's just like the Super Bowl. Even if goofball NFL team stumbles into the Super Bowl, they'll watch because it's, the, because it's football. They do not care. College basketball does not have that luxury. You have to have somebody good, and then you have to not play the game at a point where people aren't going to tune in. I, I just, I found it insane. I, I wanted to stay up. Um, the plan, just full disclosure, was to record this and then release Monday night after the national championship. I didn't make it. I fell asleep because UConn was beating them senseless, and I fell asleep watching the game. Um, somebody, was, somebody was texting you little Zs in the in the text message yeah and it was true i was out and then i wake up and it's like yeah and then i texted you i was like they gotta play these games earlier and i just i mean i saw the the sign off for jim nance and that's kind of what i I was disappointed more that i missed that than i was the game i wanted to see jim nance's final final four um and final college basketball tournament game and huh yeah, and it was nice. I mean, that, that Jim Nance, you know what? He is not at the top of my list, but I, I respect him. I think he does a great job, all that. He is just, you know, I think he, he lives the dream. <laughs> you know, that's the guy, the broadcaster, I would like to be most with what he has been doing with Super Bowls, NFL, you know, you get in the rotation Super Bowls, but then tournament masters, like that's an awesome, like he has the best, contract and for him to make this decision to step away from the basketball to like he, he said it's an effort to make him better at the other stuff and I think also knock down some of the travel there um and he's done it for so long so I respect that he's making that decision and he has been a great broadcaster so I, I don't want to minimize that just because I am not you know wearing the Jim Nance hat I, I I do think he's good I I thought he did a great job I thought 
his comments of like not trying to make it about him and all that, but but then still provided a sign off and all that stuff. Like he he did it right. I I, th- I liked his attitude about it. Um, you know, I thought he had a good approach. Yeah, I I thought so too. Which he always does. He always does. And it's um. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he wants to focus on Masters and focus on NFL, um, if that's what he enjoys calling, then he should. Yeah, Um, Yeah, this February, March is just crazy for him. And if he can calm that down and then still do those others very well, like, good for him. Good for him to have that ability to make that decision. And then, like, Ian Eagle coming in is, is, he's a great broadcaster. He is. CBS isn't hurting. And, you know, probably like a mutual conversation there of like, Hey, I want to step back here. And CBS was like, you know, are you sure? Yes. Okay. Well, we, we do have another good guy, so we're okay with this. And, and, you yeah. know, at, at least he's not leaving anybody hanging. I think Ian Eagle's going to do a great job. Um, yeah, I think he's been great for a long time. I re- I've always liked him a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah. He's great. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I just knowing the matchup, I wish it was a better matchup for him. I wish it was a better game for his last yeah. one. Um, but he's had a lot of good ones. And he has. I mean, it's not like he controls that. So, yeah, it would have been great if it was a buzzer beater or something like that. But he got to call one on Friday night or on Saturday night. So that's true. You know, it's not like he's been calling blowouts for a month. But I, I think. Yeah, I don't know. The men's game's got to figure this out. It got outrated by the women's game. They need to figure this out. They need well, to. I I think it's great that the women's game outrated. Sure, so, that that's uh, there's. I'm not saying I, I'm that encouraging more of that, but uh, the men's game should not be losing rating. I mean, they should they should be solid rated. You, the game on CBS is good, but you cannot. Again, you can't tip that game off at 9:20. I don't care if it's two West Coast teams. You can't tip that game off at 9:20. You just can't. People on the West Coast deal with earlier games all the time all the time they're used to it i know people that live on the west coast my grandpa used to live on the west coast and then he moved over here and he had to adjust to live games on the east coast and and stuff like that they've lived lifetimes over there dealing with not dealing with loving 10 a.m nfl kickoffs and primetime games on abc between florida state and miami that's kicking here at eight o'clock five o'clock there somehow they still watch it some somehow it still gets a good number somehow cbs and espn and whoever they have when those games when those sec games that are 330 here go at noon 30 over on the west coast somehow the ratings are still good and everybody loves the ratings and this is good but then when it gets to these national championship games all of a sudden we gotta oh we gotta put it at 9 20 so people can get home from work no they'll deal they'll deal or they'll get to it when they get there that's the thing about ratings it's not a number of who watched it from tip off until close. It's an average rating over that time period, because if a game is terrible and a blowout, you don't have good ratings because it's not that average over that time. And they also have the metrics of knowing when people tuned in or when they left. And if it's a good game starting at six six o'clock on the West coast, it, or five o'clock on the West coast, you're still going to get good ratings in the end. Uh, you're still going to be finishing in prime time. You don't have to finish at 1130 on the East coast to feel good about yourself. Yeah. I just, I kind of, and there was a point where I was at the beginning of the game, I was talking with a friend and then uh, he got off and stuff. I was playing video games. Like I had it yeah. on, but I wasn't paying attention. He got off and then I 
fell asleep. Um, but yeah, it was where we were joking. I was like, yeah, are we going to tip this game off or what? And then the referee, like, you know, now we're talking about like minutes or seconds, but the referee's like turning around and looking over his shoulder. I was like, toss the damn ball. Like, let's play. <laughs> and As baseball knows these minutes and seconds add up. Yeah. I was like, come on. And then they were like, we were reviewing calls with 18 minutes to go in the first half. And I was like, I am going to die. Like that's a general thing with the college game that I'm a little frustrated with is the, the amount of reviews, like, especially down the stretch of a game. Like, I think every once in a while an official doesn't need to be like, no, I saw it. We're not reviewing it. Like, you can cry that it didn't go your way, but I do my job. I just watched you touch the ball. Well, but the problem there, is that they suck at their job. It's not, like, there's no second guessing. Like, we just saw that guy hit it out of bounds, and then they go review it, and then they come back, and it's like, yeah, that's the way it was. Like, I wish, I wish there was a little more confidence in the initial call. I do think – it could be quicker. Um, like maybe on some of these that are obvious, they just go over there. If they're not sure, they go over there, take a peek. It's once through and it's like, no, nah, I got it right. Okay, cool. We're good. Um, instead of taking like every review takes two minutes. And I'm like, that didn't need to take two minutes. Um, and it's, I mean, it's free timeouts for the team. It slows it down. Like we're already dealing with foul. And but the problem with I mean, your thing, the problem with you being like, no, I'm, this is my job. I'm doing my job. The problem is they suck at their job. Like at an alarming rate, officials are getting worse and worse. And <laughs> is this a lead into the college, the girls' game? <laughs> well, yeah. But just any any level, any sport, it seems like officiating is getting worse and worse. I never sit there. I mean, last year, what was it? Major League Baseball. They had a perfect game, and everybody flipped out because they were like, "Oh my gosh, this guy called a game perfect!" And I was like. Look, that's amazingly hard to call every ball and every strike right, but also like that guy needs to do every World Series game, in my opinion, because how many MLB umpires do I watch blow calls? And I'm and Major League Baseball is like, oh no, you're dumb. And I'm like, oh okay, my eyes are lying. Okay, got it. That ball was in the other batter's box. That's a strike now. Got it. Okay, thanks, Major League Baseball. Or the NFL will say no. Uh, yeah, he had two feet down and did a somersault, but yeah, I, I do get frustrated on the blatant ones getting reviewed like that. Those are the frustrating ones when it, when it is like, you can't tell. And even when you're watching the replay, you're like, you're on sure. Fine. Yeah. We're, we're reviewing that, but there is some that are there. I don't say every single game there's one, but it, it seems often that I'm like, there's no question about this. Why are we, and maybe if I had a team in the game, I would have cared more too, but when I'm not joking, it was like 18 minutes left in the first half and they were reviewing something. And I was like, I don't think this is going to make or break the outcome of this game. Like, let's just play. It's an out of bounds. Let's just play. So moving over to what I was probably more focused on this weekend was the women's tournament because the Hokies are playing in it. And uh, just I love the ride that the Hokies have given us through this tournament. Um, it just was awesome. It was just a special run. And the excitement leading into that game on Friday night, um, I think I said Saturday, but Friday night, um, it was fun. I mean, waking up that morning, it's like big game time. And, you know, and we get that we've been getting a lot of this lately. You know, last year with the baseball and the softball, we had moments like that. And uh, where you're waking up and looking forward to that game that night where 
you know, for a long time, it seems like football kind of dominated those kind of feelings. And while football's not there right now, it's nice to have these other sports doing that. Um, it doesn't bother me one bit that it's women's sports with, with my girls being able to watch that and point to uh, the good play that's happening there. So the Hokies did fall, though, Friday night in a game to LSU. And, like, it was, it was tough because they were right there in it, Joe. Like, they – they were there. They they got down early. Maybe 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 the lights were bright. Maybe a big week of a lot of a lot of differences, and they kind of had to settle in. But then they took a lead in a and like a ten point lead at one point, I believe. And it looked like they were going to be able to do it. But uh, going into the fourth quarter, it just the the well dried up, and the defense got tough against them. The rebounds were going LSU's way. They were putting them right back in, and they came back, took a lead, surged to a victory, and. Uh, you know, Kim Mulkey and her big pink coat got the win. Yeah. Um, it was nice to see her promoting the new Hunger Games movie uh, that'll be coming <laughs> out. Um, but in all seriousness, I thought Virginia Tech, um, you know, I texted you at one point because they went on this massive run to close the first right. half. And I was like, yo, this is happening. And then I had to drive back because the rain delay that allowed me to watch that game ended with the game being suspended so i was driving back from richmond and when i got back i saw the score and was like well that sucks um but for virginia tech it's still a great season um i I think this is the beginning of them being a national power women's college basketball i know we talked a lot about that last week but lsu just played better in the fourth quarter ended up getting the win i mean mulkey as as much as we make jokes about her outfits a fantastic coach um, she's used to winning national championships and she gets the first one uh, fast forwarding a little bit. She gets the first one in program history for LSU now um, as she wins yet another one. And, you know, she's, she's been a very successful women's college basketball coach. Uh, and you, you kind of saw why with her ability to get her team in the right places and pushing all the right buttons at the right time in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue her X's and O's. I mean, she yeah, she's a good coach. You don't win four national championships mm-hmm. without being good at coaching the game. Sure, but um, it's still a bummer for Virginia Tech, and uh, that was disappointing. But looking at the national championship where Iowa was the team they faced off against, uh, and I ended up losing our women's bracket pool because Iowa didn't win today. Uh, which Wendy Ball won it, or Wendy Hull won it because uh, because you lost it. <laughs> yeah, that that was a little frustrating. Um, but I'll say this. When you look at some of the stuff going on around the game, to get in the building was more expensive for the Women's National Championship than it is for oh, the yeah. Men's National yeah. Championship by like $400 more expensive to get in the door. I think a large part of that has to do with Caitlin Clark and everything that she has done for the women's game and her ability to just shoot from wherever on the floor and make shots. She's a big-time player. She's going to have a highly successful career in the WNBA. and Man, But she's still young. Where she's, she's going to be the face of college basketball going oh, into sure. the next season, and that's just spectacular. I mean, that's great for the game. I, I mean, you know, I've seen debate today about Caitlin Clark and some of her uh, confidence that she shows, and then also, you know, what we saw from LSU at the end of the yeah, National Championship I game. And, I didn't have a problem with that. Um, I, I, I thought, honestly, I thought a lot of that was in response to what Caitlin Clark had said after the win against South Carolina, 
when they say, man, LSU is such a good shooting team. What are you going to do? And she, she had said, we don't have to guard South Car- or LSU like we had to guard South Carolina. And so I'm sure that rubbed a lot of those players the wrong way. And they came out and shot amazing today. Um, I thought the refs made sure we knew they were a part of the game, which was unfortunate. Um, I'm not sure it changes the outcome, but I would. I am curious on how Coach Mulkey, who we've talked a lot about already, can have a nuclear meltdown on the sideline, be on the floor, run into officials, no technical fouls are called, no warnings are given. Not even a warning, nothing. No, no yeah. warnings are given, but Caitlin Clark kind of behind the back passes the ball toward the baseline and gets a technical foul. Um, I think and they to said me there that's was embarrassing. About she said something and like there was no. The that's the thing. You she watch the replay. Her mouth didn't move, and I think that's the problem, right? And when we say, in today's day and age, we look at umpires in particular in baseball, but NFL officials get this, NBA officials are getting this more and more often from players, and now it's happening in this Women's College National Championship, and you've seen some criticism of officiating a March Madness on the men's side, but I don't think at a super high level. Um, And I get being an official is an incredibly difficult job i would not want to do it but what we hear is what we hear is like hurting themselves yeah like oh it's so hard like give them a break you know they're there's such as don't make it so easy to criticize you like don't do stuff like this don't insert yourself in a game where you don't need to be inserted yeah i mean that it could have been a physical game with or without all the foul calling i i you know I know there was a big margin, <laughs> excuse me, a big margin. And so it's, you know, does it affect the ending or not? But when you see Caitlin Clark on the bench because of foul issues, that's a big difference than what we've seen from my, I watched a lot of the big 10 women's tournament. Um, so I, I feel familiar with that. I, you know, Caitlin Clark's as much as she's stepping to the national stage right now, those who watch any women's basketball have seen her all year, knew of her last year too. So this isn't some kind of shocker. Um, so we've seen how she plays. We see how much she plays. So, I just think like the general flow of the game was disrupted for Iowa majorly. And, and I think LSU has their issues with officiating too. So I, I'm really not going to argue if it does, if it does or doesn't change, but I would have liked to seen it without it. And, and I, I think I, I just would have liked to see what that outcome would have been. I mean, I would like to see the Hokies in the game and see what that could have been as well. But, you know, I was really rooting for Iowa. I, I just LSU. I don't like coach. Malky. I just, I haven't liked her when she was at Baylor. I didn't like her transitioning over to LSU. And, and obviously during this tournament, she beat my team. I don't like, you know, I'm not going to be rooting for them. Um, so I, I don't like the flash that she brings. Uh, if it were my coach, like I like Arca, I like Kenny. I think I've said that a hundred times. I've tweeted how much I like Kenny. I like his style about it. I like that. He's that calm influence on the side. I, I do a lot of coaching of little league girls basketball. I'm loud and yelling the whole time, hopefully encouragement and, and stuff like that, but I'm not in Kenny's style. I wish I was because I think that's a great style. It also shows that confidence that he's already put in what he needs to. Now, Kim, she's coached him up and, and ready. I'm not trying to say that's like she's the worst coach because of that. I just, I like Kenny's style. Also, it, them winning and stuff helps. You know, that helps me like him and I've watched him for so long. He's from here. A lot goes into that, but I I wouldn't want a coach as flashy as what Kim Mulkey brings to the table. Uh, I think in other arguments, we've talked about football coaches and, and stuff like that. I think I've, I've made equivalent, you know, I don't, 
I'm necessarily um, Texas Tech's coach who we've lost, uh, Leach. You know, I think at one point before he passed, I was like, I really wouldn't want that dynamic at coach. Like, I, I don't mind a, a guy that maybe is not as in your face and, and making, you know, having a lot of talk about what the coach is doing on the sideline or, or what they're wearing. I, I, I'm not as for that. But works for them. That's fine. I, I see Caitlin Clark's – I mean, you talked about a little bit, and I was trying to lead to this. Like, Caitlin Clark has a little trash talk and a little stuff. So do some LSU players. I'm really not super against any of those. I know a lot of people are trashing LSU and saying no class and stuff like that. I'm really not going to dig into that as much. I think they are led by an example of their coach, and I've already said I don't really enjoy their coach as much. So I, that, But that works for them. They just won a national championship. So why, why are we arguing? Uh, but choosing the moments that they did at the end of the game, I would hope my players or people on my team wouldn't wouldn't be focused on talking trash in those winning moments. You know, if it's in the moment and, you know, as you're making winning plays, but like when it's a dead ball and they're like, like I, I wouldn't want my players showing their emotion to the opposing team in those moments. I'd rather them be celebrating themselves at that moment. Um, when it, when it is a restful moment, not a like reactionary thing, but that's, that's pulling, you know, that's picking hairs. It, it just doesn't matter. Um, I, you know, I'll root against LSU because I don't like their coach and coming up in years and I'll never forgive them for beating us. I, you know, if we can build a wall around uh, Arizona for the men's tournament, I'd like to do one against Louisiana doubly this weekend uh, for what they did to my favorite teams. Uh, we'll talk about softball in a little bit, but um, I, I don't know. I, 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 I was really enjoying the women's tournament and the Hokies losing on Friday really took the wind out of my sails. It, it caught a little fire in that game when Iowa beat South Carolina, and that was a fun game to watch. That was a really good game. That was a huge game that was really built up, and it lived up. And, and I think we've had a couple of those lately where I said the games have lived up. That one lived up, um, but then Iowa was, wasn't able to carry that momentum into the next, and that, you know, didn't carry my gambling money or my investments either. So, you know, that was disappointing. Yeah, I do wonder how much of it is in terms of going back to what you said about the trash talk, like, people being upset and all that because uh, Caitlin Clark kind of became their de facto favorite women's basketball player. And so they're watching Iowa rooting for Iowa in that game. And then they see what they think is the officials going against Iowa. And then they see this LSU player talking trash to Caitlin Clark, who has become the nat the nation's favorite women's college basketball player and, and not liking it. I, because for me, like being a true neutral in it, I'm like, nah. You know, she was doing the you can't see me earlier in the tournament to teams. This girl from LSU does it back. Like, I don't know. Well, she had her own stuff, too. She kept doing the too small thing to people. Like, she yeah. did that, the game to everybody. Like, she had her own stuff. Yeah, so um, part of me is like, all right, it comes back a little bit to you. And I also know this because there have been plenty of times, like, if an Orioles player does something, I'm like, yeah, it's part of the game. Grow up. <laughs> don't be a hater. But if it happens to the Orioles, I have a lot of different opinions about it sometimes. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just um, I, I think this I, is great for the women's game, I, just like baseball. And I think baseball needs to great. embrace personality a little bit. I, I think this is great for women's college basketball. Yeah, Some players with attitude and it, that enjoy playing the game and enjoy like I'm sorry. Larry Bird is one of the most popular NBA players of all time. Larry Bird talked non-stop trash so for all the people like oh she should win with class but i'm like i don't know how do you feel about larry bird or michael jordan because those are the two of yeah. the top 
trash talkers in the history of basketball. Like they didn't my, win with what you would call class. My only kind of like twist to that conversation. I, I tried to just touch it is just the moment. The moment where um, was it Angel Reese kind of is highlighted for doing it was in like, you know, they're waiting for a free throw after not a whole lot of action. You know, it was kind of a slow moment. Um, you know, I, I like I like those reactionary kind of trash talks or motions and stuff, even the too small stuff like it's right after I just one up to you. And then like after the game, Angel Reese exactly said it, it was like, well, I was trying to like uh, pick her pocket and then do it. But I, I just did it in that moment there. Like. I, th- I think I wouldn't even probably bring it up if she would have like actually done something to Caitlin Clark in those moments leading up to her doing it. I, I don't. Know. I guess I, I, I would just different. say if you think Michael Jordan and Larry Bird weren't saying stuff to opponents during dead ball situations, I think you're being naive. And I don't care versus yeah. Angel uh, emotion. Reese is not Larry Bird or Michael Jordan, so like I'm fine with you know enjoy you know having her moment, have her moment. Like if if she wants her moment to not be smiling and looking at her teammates and happy and all that. And it like, make sure you get seen doing that. Like that's her choice. That's absolutely her choice. Absolutely. But my, my point is if you don't think they have said stuff, not live ball, like dead ball moments, they haven't said trash talk to their opponents. I think you're being naive. And I think if you're saying, I don't care if Angela Reese just says something, then I think you're just really, I mean, not only are you splitting hairs, you're starting to get to, you know, microscopic surgery. And yeah, I just think I'm glad she talked trash once they were like the, it was established they won. That's good. It's good. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it is embarrassing if you talk trash and then I you win, don't I win. 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 Yeah, you're up 15. It is embarrassing <laughs> if you talk trash and then don't win. I mean that that is pretty bad. Yeah, if you if you think Michael Jordan didn't talk trash in the first quarter, you're naive. <laughs> yeah, but I I guess I don't care when people talk trash either. Like it is what it is. Yeah. I'm not trying to beat the girl down on it. I just, it, it's there. Like I, I, I had a feeling about it. I'm not saying every time Caitlin Clark does something, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's awesome. Like if she'd have done that to the Hokies, I'm sure I, you know, I'm mad at LSU cause they beat us. So it's easy for me to be negative in that direction. I'm, I'm acknowledging that I, Caitlin Clark's fun to watch. Angel Reese's success there was, is good for the game. Good or bad. How people are reacting to this, as you said, great for the game. People are going to tune back in when they can watch these players play again. And that's awesome. And it goes back to the fact that when they put women's sports on TV and decent spots to watch it, where you don't have to go to the Ocho at 11 PM to find it, it gets watched and it's fun to watch because it's a good game. Like the people act, Oh, they're not dunking. Well, the NBA and high level college basketball is the only place where they're dunking all the time. Otherwise this basketball game looks like a lot of basketball games that happen all over the nation at a lot of different levels all the time. So I also think if these two programs are smart, they would capitalize on a home and home at this point. Uh, they do that in women's basketball, so I wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, why not? I mean, UConn and Tennessee and all these South yeah. Carolina—they always have these in season. Maybe or, um, not even necessarily always early season. Sometimes in January, or February, where they're going and playing, you know, the other big teams. Yeah, do it. Awesome. I think it's a great way to get fans in the building and eyeballs. I agree. They had the too early poll, which you know you laugh at as soon as it you see it exists and then, then you open it and read it. <laughs> but They had UConn at number one, Utah at number two, LSU at number three, cause they bring a lot back. Iowa at number four, cause they have Caitlin Clark back, mm-hmm. but their, their big girl down low is going to be gone. So they're going to have to fill that hole. Uh, South Carolina, number seven, which seems surprising to me. Cause I thought they were loaded and going to remain loaded. 
uh, Virginia Tech 14th, and that weighed heavily on uh, Kitley. She's coming back. She has one year of eligibility coming to come back with, and she's using it. You know, talking about Kitley a little bit, back to the Hokies, she, like, played with a lot of force in the ACC season. Like, I, I watched her then. I watched her in the ACC tournament especially, and she she kind of was a big presence underneath. And in these games, as it got deeper, I, I guess these double teams that she was experiencing here might have hit her different, or I don't know. But it, it the Elite Eight game, I think it took her a while to warm up. Um, and then the second half, she was much better. And then in this final four game, um, it just never seemed like she was at that aggression level that I was used to seeing her. So I'm excited. You know, I, I have faith in Kenny Brooks getting these uh, girls prepared. I think he will. Having tape on her, maybe not being at her best at a, at a crucial time, I think will be great fuel for offseason, you know, work throughs and like, hey, this right here, this is where we need this move for. Or, you know, this is our you know, position to get ourselves in underneath to where we can have success against a double team. Like I'm excited for her to be back with Kenny to, to learn lessons from these games. Cause you know, I see 14th on that too early poll. Okay. That's fine. If I think we'll be ACC contender. And I think if you win the ACC or are contending for the ACC, that puts you in a position to have expectations. So I'm, I'm fine with that. Let's go and let's see what happens. I mean, now we can't say they've never done it. Now we can't say Kenny's never done it. We, right. We've done it. So now we can expect that or hope for that or whatever I want to do without being told I'm stupid. So that'll be good. Yeah. I mean, I might still tell you you're stupid for another reason, but we'll see. We'll let that play out. <sighs> so let's jump over to the uh, – let's talk about the Diamond Sports real quick while we're in college talk here before we get into the high school talk that we've been promising for weeks. I went to some softball this weekend. I saw JMU uh, in Harrisonburg hosting um, Louisiana, and it was good to get out to a game. Now, none of these three games went the way of the Dukes. On uh, Friday, they had the game in a position to win it um, and gave up two runs. I believe it was the top of the seventh, and then it went to extras, and then JMU lost it. Um, the game Saturday was a blowout. It was uh, we, they were four down when I walked in the stadium. Uh, it was an early uh, grand slam, uh, put that one out of reach. But it, it was fun to be there in person. Sunday was a tighter game, but then uh, Louisiana scored late few runs to, uh, to roll away with that victory. But still kind of, um, you know, I think good for AMU to have that top team in the conference, a team that's won 75 now conference series wins, to come in there and see that level play of the conference because – They've, they've been playing all right in conference and uh, they've, you know, they haven't played the top level in the conference. And obviously this is the top of the top, uh, but they'll have other tough teams, but I think that's a good, Hey, lesson. we got to get better. Um, you know, this isn't the team of two years ago that went to the world series. Like this isn't them. Um, but I think I have no doubt that they have potential to get there. I think they're investing in that program. Uh, I think they're recruiting the right kind of players. We keep seeing players get in. I think some of their best players they've recruited coming out of that World Series have even yet to get on campus. So I, I'm, I'm excited about the future. This wasn't the great, greatest example of the weekend of that, but I think they'll be able to use it as a good learning lesson. Yeah, and I don't think there's any shame in losing to a team like Louisiana. Um, yeah. It's just a tough break this time around. And as you said, I think this is a program that's going to continue to improve as, as the right. years roll on in the Sun Belt. So you just hope you get to a point where – Maybe next year, even though it's going to be on the road, uh, maybe you can go down there and find a way to get some wins. Yeah, and I'm hoping sooner than that. I'm hoping that helps. Is this helps them in, you know, the second and third base teams that were ranked ahead of them in the 
preseason. Like maybe they're a little more ready for that. Maybe they're a little more cranked up and they, I, I, I don't know. You, maybe you're embarrassed. Maybe the players themselves won't look at it. No embarrassment and losing to them. Maybe the players won't feel that way. I, I don't know. So we'll, we'll see what they do. Um, but I'm not taking it as some huge embarrassment. Um, yeah. And uh, I was at the diamond in Richmond this weekend. Uh, VC played St. Bonaventure game. One was, uh, long, uh, 23, <laughs> 23 to nine ended up being the final VCU batted around three separate times in that ball game. Uh, Ooh. and then, so that game got fin- started on Friday, rain finished it on Saturday. Then they played the second game of the series Saturday after that. That was a much closer game. It ended up being 7-6 St. Bonaventure. VCU came back in the eighth inning to tie it, walked in the go-ahead run in the ninth, and then VCU would have bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth, strike out to lose the game. Pretty tough Ooh. way to lose to St. Bonaventure. But then they come back Sunday uh, in the deciding game of the series and win 13-1 to in what was a pretty easy victory for VCU as they just kind of came out hammered the ball all over the diamond uh, with home runs, line drives everywhere. And uh, it was a very young pitching staff for St. Bonaventure this weekend. Um, But VCU took advantage of it, and they're going to play VMI in the midweek before going to St. Joe's. Now, I know you are working when you're at these games, so you might not have an equivalent uh, thing to point out. I enjoyed the game on Saturday at JMU. It was a, uh, like, 90s theme. Um, and basically just with music and like trivia, uh, in the stadium. Uh, but I mean, that's my wheelhouse. You know, if you're going to throw, uh, nineties songs and Hey, whoever's the first person to get to this person holding the prize pack with the name of this Britney Spears song. Um, you know, I, that's, that's my wheelhouse. So, uh, I didn't get to the, the, the person in time to win the prize, but as soon as they said, here's a contest, whoever can name this song first will win. I started moving towards that person. Uh, because I had all the confidence in the world. But no, it was fun to hear all those 90s songs. For me, it's not even like, you know, a theme. It's just like this seems right that they're playing this awesome music the whole time. Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a fun part of the day. And the weather was good. I was, we were really worried about the wind. We'd kind of given up on going to the game Saturday because the forecasts were so bad uh, for the high winds. But then we saw kind of a pocket where uh, the game time was and it was going to work out. So we, we made it up there. And uh, it was a nice day for, to be out there Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, I was in the press box. Um, I don't think there was any yeah. theme nights going on this weekend. I know they have pups at the Those park. Fireworks shows, nothing. No, they got pups at the park coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, if you're a big nice. dog person, um, but <laughs> no, this one was uh, wind was the theme. Um, yeah the the game Friday night. It was actually really funny. Uh, before the rain, uh, one of the LSU or excuse me, not LSU, one of the VCU players. Um, Logan Amos, who fans of the Valley League will remember from his time with the Charlottesville Tom Sox, uh, hits a ball to right center field. He's a left-handed hitter. Hits the ball to right center field, and the wind literally blows it all the way from right center field to dead center field out of the park. And uh, was a grand slam. Uh really was the beginning of the wheels falling off the wagon for St. Bonaventure um, in that first game. But I mean, anything in the air on Friday was a bit of an adventure because the wind Saturday wasn't much better. Today was just a perfect day. Um, Not too windy, really nice temperatures in Richmond. I was in the press box for the whole time. Uh, So 
the wind and the rain never blew in the press box, um, <laughs> which was great. Uh, the other baseball note I just wanted to point out is I, I'm happy the Hokies, they're not having the best baseball season, um, you know, coming off of last year, but uh, hopefully they're getting better. But a big victory, I think it's number five, UVA came to Blacksburg this weekend and the Hokies took two of three. So a nice series win there. They got Duke coming up next weekend. Um, they, they started off rough in the ACC and they started off rough on the season. Um, they kind of righted the ship and some of that, but the ACC started rough too. So uh, a sweep by Miami like two weeks ago. And I think they lost to Pittsburgh last weekend, two or three. So uh, it's good to get a series win against UVA. And maybe that's a beginning of more and more wins, but they're going to probably have to, you know, play well in the ACC tournament and stuff like that to kind of be in the position they want to be in. Um, but we'll see. we got, you know, a couple weeks left. I mean, what is it? Six weeks left. So that's all right. There are six weeks left. The ACC is really tough too. So it is something to keep. So it gives them opportunity if they're able to beat the, like, you know, mm-hmm. get some wins against those teams that'll, that'll set them in the right direction or, yep. or it could go a different way. It could. All right, Joe, let's talk about some of these spring sports. We're not going to get through all of them tonight, but we've neglected them here with the tournament being so good and we haven't had time to talk about it. We've had long podcasts enough. Um, but let's dig into some of these sports. We'll talk about baseball and soccer here tonight. Um, plenty to talk about about tennis and track coming up. But baseball last year, we saw Wilson kind of go on away with it, winning the, the uh District, district there by three games and and really just ran away with it um they started out you know strong enough this year they already have two losses but they, they have tough competition there gap draft and fort they've only had one loss so far so a lot of the who do you expect to be towards the top now fort was a little bit back last year um so i think they are expecting to step up this year and you know start with only one loss so far is good i know they've added some pitch into that roster um a lot of those guys that were good last year kind of stepped up and gotten better um, I know we're looking at Buffalo Gap and a lot of the same names there with Micah Canterbury and Cody Bright. Um, I know that Cameron Lewin kid has done some good things this year. Um, Hunter Showalter, just some other names. Uh, draft with the Coffee kid, the Pucket kid. I believe those are both returners there. So a lot of good players out there. But it's just hard for me to see that team in Wilson last year that finished three games up. And then all these names of Progorski and Finn Irving and Ryan Mundy and Blake Rogers, a lot of football names there. Jalen Ra- um Rossi, I'm not sure how to say his name. Um, you know, it's just hard to see all those names back, all those guys that were such a big role and the lead that they had last year. I mean, they they went undefeated through the district in the back half. I mean, it it was a great season. And, and to have all that talent back, it's just hard for me not to think of them as the favorites. Yeah, and because it's not district play yet, you know, it's harder to get a read on all of that. Starts um, this week. That's that's right, that's why we're previewing now. Right. <laughs> But with the non-conference, them being at four and two, not the end of the world, everything yeah. is still in front of them. And I, I think sure. this is, you know, you talked about Buffalo Gap only having one loss. This is kind of a big week for them because they play Riverheads, a team we expect to see at the top, and they play Fort Defiance, a team that we expect to see at the top. So if Gap goes out and loses both of these games, I think that throws a lot of cold water on Buffalo Gap and what we expect out of them with the rest of the season in high school baseball. Um, yeah, well, last year, I think we had some of that, too, where they, they kind of started out not very well and then kind of got it going in the second half. And I think they're the team that beat Wilson. And then um, they ended up taking that to a state semi-appearance. So they really got hot in the latter half of the season. Now, I know, you know, Coach Wenger's not going to want to wait till the 
you know, into the season to figure things out. I, th- I think he wants to build on what they did last year. And I think starting out five and one indicates, you know, some of that's been hurt. Now, you know, huge week for Gap, like you said. And, uh, you know, even splitting this week, I still think you'll take pos- positives away from Yeah, that, no, know? that's and, what I'm saying. A split, you're okay. If, yeah. you, if you lose both of those games this week, then I think realistic expectations of winning the Shandoah District go away. Yeah, now you now you start conjuring up. Hey, well, last year we made a run. Yeah, I, you know you don't want to be talking about that in in early April. Um, but a lot of big names there for them. Um, Stanton Waynesboro starting a little rough. They had rough seasons last year. Uh, a couple of new coaches at both those schools with Robbie Miller now the coach at Stanton. We know George Loss. Uh, he went up to Broadway and um, saw a great picture of his his little kids in. Uh, uh, outfits uh, from o- opening day. I just wanted to mention that because they're Pirates fans. So, you know, well-raised kids there. Um, Nobody's perfect. And then <laughs> Waynesboro has a new coach in Zach Hale. So a couple new coaches in baseball there. The rest of them apparently the same as last year per the current rosters on the website. But, yeah, I, it's hard for me to look past Wilson, but the same names we've always been saying. Gap, Draft, Fort, maybe Riverheads, you know, vying for – involved in that and we're not too far removed from when we had what a three-way tie on the top of this district um if i had to i I just if i had to bet i would say wilson or anybody's not going to win by three games i think it might be a tighter race this year i think i think there's some good talent those other schools i i like how gap has started so i just think they're going to be in the mix there maybe they don't win it but i just think there's going to be some losses in there and it's not just going to be a one loss wilson team running away with it i would agree with that i don't think wilson runs away with it this year um but I do think that's got to be your favorite to win. I mean, they just, as dominant yeah. as they were last year, I don't know. I do think the rest of the district's better. I just don't know if they're three games better. Consistent program. It's, it's hard hard not to pick them. Over looking at softball, um, you know, Gap, Riverheads, and Fort, kind of with the best starts there all with one losses early. You know, just like we said for baseball, here comes Buffalo Gap and softball. You know, coming off a state semi-loss last year, another state appearance there. You know, they play Fort, who played in the States last year. They played Riverheads, who played in the States last year. Big week for Gap in softball, just the same. So um, all three of these teams we're kind of talking about here, all in the States last year, looking to get back to that point. Um, and, and I, you know, I think they can. I think it's possible. Um, you know, you know, Fort Defiance is, is, is the tough one there. You know, the, mm-hmm. I think they lost a little bit of talent from last year. Um was it Lillian Barry was the big, big player for them that losing that doesn't just get swept under the rug, but that program has been well run for long enough that I do expect them to be near the top. I wouldn't expect some kind of big drop off, but I think that's what we've seen so far in this season. So, um, you know, coach Todd Wood, he was on the podcast last year. I think he approaches it the, the right way. He's going to be in his seventh year this year, looking to get back to that spot and, and build off that. And they were close last year. I mean, they played a good team there in that state semi, um, you know, they won the quarterfinal game. They lost the state semi. I mean, they want to make steps on that. And, and I think it's not unheard of to think Riverheads or, or Gap can, you know, build on what they did. I mean, Riverheads played in the state final, so uh, it's hard to get further games, but, you know, hope to win it. But, you know, can we see Buffalo Gap and Riverheads both deep in that state run? I, you know, with the challenges they get in this district, I think it's possible. But, you know, something we have to look at as we get closer to that point. Yeah, I, I do think this is going to be Fort's season when it's all said and done. I, I do know that Gap and Riverheads were teams that 
were very good last year and, and gave Fort a little bit of a run. Uh, yeah, yeah, like baseball had to make that late run, right? As well, so. But Riverheads, you know, was that second place team in the district yep. and ended up being three games back. And I mean, I, I think I, unlike baseball, I do kind of expect Fort to stay with a pretty decent size gap. You think, you think they get knocked off? Do you think somebody gets them? <sighs> no. There you go. I think Riverheads and Gap both had tighter games with them last year, but I, I you know, it, I don't think it was. <laughs> I mean, obviously they didn't beat, beat them, so uh, yeah, I, I. That's a tough one, you know. The one I would love. The I mean, and look, this is nothing against Ford. Yeah. I would love to be wrong. I, I'd love for all of our programs to make it an exciting race and then have yeah. great success in the postseason. I just, I do think Ford is that much better. Not saying Riverheads and Gap can't make runs in Class One this last year that Riverheads is there and Buffalo Gap being in class one that they can't make another deep run into the state tournament, but I don't think they're going to be able to catch for it. A couple of new coaches here in softball, Bobby Humphrey at Wilson Memorial. Um, that replaces the coaching tandem they had last year in Lindsay Shiflett and, uh, um, and Eric uh, coaching there at Wilson. Um, and also down at Waynesboro, um, Neil Truxel takes over to the, Reigns there for the softball team. So a couple new coaches. Wilson winless early, which surprises me for the third place finishing team last year. But with a new coach, I know they play a bunch of, you know, three C teams. And and I think, you know, all their losses are coming that way. Uh, A little surprising they're winless, but I I don't think I wouldn't write them off from the top half of the district just because of what they've done here in the preseason now or early season. I would remember some of those losses as we, as all teams get better as the season goes on, when they start facing those same teams again in the postseason, I, I would might, might weigh on my mind then that they've already played some of these teams and probably already seen some of Wilson's best pitching and obviously have played well. So, right. Soccer. We, I mean, every year we just talk Wilson and Stanton, we nonstop Wilson and Stanton. And for good reason, those are the teams that have just dominated this district. Um, mostly Stanton for, while we've been doing this podcast, but last year, Wilson really strong. They won the district undefeated season, you know, got Stanton twice um, undefeated season in the district. Uh, But then, you know, in the um, three C quarter lost and that put them out of the tournament. And that was, you know, kind of the hope for the district to kind of carry something deeper. I know Riverheads did make uh, States, but that's in that region one B where they basically qualified for States by having a team. So it's a little hard to look at that the same way, but you know, I am surprised Wilson started off not very well. They've lost to Spotswood and Monticello. They've split with TA so far this season. So that's their one and three record. Uh, Stanton hadn't gotten too many games in at one and oh. So I would still keep it there with the boys side that, you know, that's going to be the race. Can Fort Defiance kind of jump into that mix? I think Fort was a team. I think they beat Stanton last year. Uh, so can Fort Defiance kind of further that? Um, involvement in the top of this district. I, I think that'll be the fun thing to see this year. Um, you know, a stand with a different coach there with Eric Jankowski there. Um, Janowski, I, I didn't say that right. I know I didn't. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see just, you know, how Stanton adjusts with the new coach. Um, but I, I would, I wouldn't bet on anybody outside of Wilson and Stanton. And, and something tells me, I, I just think Wilson will probably get things going right here. I, I think it's a surprising start. So I, I think in the district, things will probably settle in their record to get, you know, back to a winning record and, and, and carry on into the season here. Yeah, I, I think that when you're looking at the boys side, you know, Wilson and Stanton play Tuesday. So that's kind of an early right. measuring stick to see if 
hey, are these is Spotswood, Monticello, TA better than we're thinking, or is Wilson maybe not as good as we're, we were expecting coming into the season? Um, and if Stanton gets that win, obviously that gives them the advantage in the Shenandoah district, but I think also then kind of tells us a little bit more about Wilson and the struggle they might have to get back into the top spot in the Shenandoah district on the boys side, girls side, Wilson's not having that problem though. Wilson's girls soccer team is very, very good to start the season. Yep. Yeah, Wilson undefeated. Uh, they were in the top half last year. I know Waynesboro was kind of that surprise spring mm-hmm. team for Waynesboro last year. They won the girls' side of the district there. I remember when they beat Fort Defiance, we all were like, okay, Waynesboro's here. But then they, you know, did what they had to against uh, Wilson. And, and you know, 9-1 and one in the district, great job there. They were the one seed um, in that three seed. So just an incredible run, but they did fall there in three seed, didn't make it out. Wilson did, you know, Wilson did get the wins late in the season there to go to the state semi, then lost on penalty kicks uh, to LCA. So, you know, can they use that, you know, heartbreaker at the end of last season to really build off that? I think that's going to be the story for Wilson this year. Riverheads, though, another team that went to states. And like I said, for the boys, you know, and the girls, even more so just for having a team, they're kind of already, I think, (laughs) qualified for state tournament. Well, you know, they did a good job and and won at the end of season last year and, and kind of shut some people up after finishing last in the district. And now starting undefeated this year, I'm interested to see, are they that much better? Are they building on what last year? Or, you know, are we going to see that come back down to earth here as the season starts? So I'm, I'm more confident in Wilson, you know, returning and being good and, and having it buy-in for a, some kind of state appearance here than I would Riverheads, but I'm interested. I, you know, this is a good sign. Last year, Riverheads did not start out undefeated. You know, they had losses to some of these same teams, Allegheny and teams they're playing now. I they I like that they're winning those, so I'm excited. They have a new coach this year. Um, so, you know, does last year even matter when you have a new coach? I don't know, but the players, some of the players are going to be the same. So um, I think that's going to be interesting to watch between those two teams. Um, and then also what Waynesboro, I, you know, of any of the sports – in the spring that I'm hopeful for Waynesboro to be good in. I think this girl's soccer coming off a Shenandoah district victory last year. I'm, I'm hoping they're able to do that too. I think Elan Moore is back as head coach. I mean, we'll look at some of the track stuff for Wilson too, but here in girls soccer, I'm hopeful that they can kind of return and, and be a player at the top of this district. Mm-hmm. All right, Joe, let's jump into the D block and talk about uh, what we have going on here. Uh, I, my, my D-Box pretty sportsy this week. I, I know most of the time I talk about shows or music or something, but baseball took me over Thursday on. I know there was plenty of basketball to watch um, Friday and Saturday night, but I still had a TV on with baseball the whole time. Um, my fantasy league is a little bit different this year, so I'm kind of newly invigorated in that area and looking at the whole game a little differently, um, but I'm just pumped. I'm pumped it's back. Uh, I have Aaron judge on my team, which I don't love, uh, but he's probably going to produce for me. So <laughs> it's kind of the grit my teeth and, and like it kind of thing. And he opened the season with, Homer. I mean, the first, you know, headlines for MLB season was Aaron judge leads, you know, first swing Homer um, and picking up where he left off last year with his 62 home runs, which is not the best ever as ESPN tried to tell us it was last year, but he started off well, um, I think he has another one on the season already because I he's on my fantasy team, so I know that kind of stuff. Uh, but I what jumped off the map for me is the same thing that's going to jump off for you, and I think we texted each other about Allie Rushman, five for five on opening day, a heck of a start 
for the catcher there at Baltimore. And uh, that was an interesting series. I know the Orioles didn't get that series win against Boston, but a lot of good games there. Yeah, um, Aaron Judge is also a member of the Knights of Joel um, in my fantasy baseball team. Um, yeah, he was the keeper, one of my five keepers. Adley was another keeper, <laughs> so I enjoyed his five-for-five five performance. Opening day was great for me in terms of fantasy <laughs> baseball. Um, but, yeah, I, I also uh, ended up watching baseball with a bunch of uh, – my friends, not named Leland, um, and we got together. Oh, and, friends, not acquaintances. That's good. Right. Uh, we ended up getting together and watching opening day <laughs> on, like, five TVs and a tablet. Um, so we, uh, while we're watching all this baseball being played, um, my brother is also there, and so we are very invested in the Orioles game going on, and we are – screaming and hollering and celebrating as Adley's first at bat is a home run. And then Boston ties it up. And then Ramon Urias hits one over the green monster. And we're excited again. And we have this huge lead. And then the game gets interesting because uh, our shortstop uh, spikes a ball on a throw to first, which was aggravating. Um, But we ended up holding on to win that game. Game two, I didn't get to watch because I was at the Diamond all day. I did get a flurry of text messages and then watch the highlights later, or I should say lowlights, where Ryan McKenna uh, just drops a fly ball that would have won the game. Yeah, and because he tough. drops the ball, then Boston comes back and ends up walk-off homering with Adam Duvall, who hit a home run again today in a game we lost. But um, that the the issue with Ryan McKenna... Uh, one, existing, and two, being on the Baltimore Orioles roster, is he's not good. And this goes to kind of some of the problems that the fan base has on where we've got young guys, but we don't bring them up because of whatever reason. And then we throw these 4A players at best into the Major League roster. Ryan McKenna, I don't really want to watch him play baseball in Norfolk. Um, I, I don't want him in the organization. I, he, as a baseball player, is just flat out not good enough to be at the major league level. And we played around with DJ Stewart in the outfield for a long time, and he sucked. Um, Anthony Santander. I know DJ Stewart, and he does not suck. Well, the Baltimore Oriole DJ Stewart does suck. And if you know him, then he, yes, he did suck. Um, I'm guessing it's not the same guy. Um, it's not the same guy. No, he, my guy uh, lives in Bridgewater. Okay, yeah, and didn't play college baseball at Florida State. So um, this, but Santander's also not good. Like Santander, on opening day, our lineup, as much as I like enjoy the individuals in it, the starting lineup, I did look at, and my brother was like, why are we DHing Gunnar Henderson? And I was like, that's a good question. And uh, because we DH'd Gunnar Henderson, that meant Santan- Santander had to play in left field. And that's a bit of an adventure, too. I did not look at the lineup today and see what it was. I do know on Saturday, Santander was back in the DH where he belongs. Um, I do know today we did not play Ryan McKenna. And we played Favra, who is one of our infielders that we have moved to the outfield um, because we don't have a left fielder, apparently. Um, and it's just, it's frustrating because there's a lot to be excited about with the Orioles. 
But as much as I love the excitement and I do, I am excited that baseball's back. I will be when VCU's not having games, I will be watching Orioles baseball. Um, the ownership did not miss an opportunity to drive fans bananas. And the owner, you might remember on Martin Luther King day, uh, that, podcast episode we had said that john angelos made a rear end of himself having the rare opportunity for the media to ask him questions um be on martin luther king day where he wants to celebrate this investment that the franchise is making into the inner city of baltimore and people ask him what is with the rumors of you potentially moving what is with you not re-signing the lease and extending your lease at Camden Yards. You know, what's going on here? What's going on with the lawsuit with your family? Well, the lawsuit with the family is no more. Thank goodness, I guess. Um, But he, at that press conference, said, we are fine financially. We're not moving and blah, blah, blah. And I'll show you my books anytime you want. Well, he told them they could come next week and he would show them the books. Well, guess what? They showed up from the Baltimore Sun, and he did not show him the books. Um, fast forward to this week, where they ask him again, and he says, how dare you keep asking me about these books? I'm not showing you my books. <laughs> and I was like, that's weird. Maybe because they were holding you accountable for what you said earlier. But whatever. You're an idiot. Um, and then he goes on the radio after an opening day win. They're interviewing him on Baltimore's flagship station. And they're like, man, what is it like to have all these young guys? And, you know, uh, what's the likelihood of, you know, bringing these guys back? And he's like, well, you know, we got to keep in mind, we're a small market team. And I was like, man, nothing throws a wet blanket like John Angelos. Yeah. Like, Good honestly, story. the best thing that could happen to the Orioles is he sells the team because he's just, he's the wrong guy for this team. He's the wrong guy for this organization. Adley Rushman. Mid-Atlantic sports team, have I heard the same kind of phrase for? Yeah. And, and <laughs> honestly, it's just pay the money now to Adley Rushman. Pay the money now. You have the yeah. money. Pay the money now, now than he'll ever be. Yes. Pay the money you now. You can max him now. He's cheaper now. He is cheaper now. Every no day what, you no wait, what you he gets more expensive. Sign Gunnar Henderson Absolutely. now. Sign Gunnar Henderson yes. now. Sign these young the guys Braves that you know this. are hits. Yes. This, that's what the Braves did. And I'm not saying you got to spend $500 million. It's not going to cost you $500 million if you do it today. If you wait six oh. years, it might cost you $500 million. But if you do it today, it's not going to cost you that much money. Sign them. You have to spend money. Otherwise, why do you have a team? That's my question. Why do you have a team? He, his dad was an ambulance chaser of a lawyer. I hate him. I hate that whole family. I wish they would go away. Um, and now, now we're stuck with them unless he ends up selling the team. There's, uh, there's always rumors that they might sell the team. And I hope if they do, they'll sell it to somebody who keeps the team in Baltimore. Rob Manfred said he's committed to keeping the team in Baltimore. But I don't trust him either. I just can't imagine the move. If that happened, that might kill. As much as I love baseball, that might kill my love of Major League Baseball. Because I'm not going to root for the Nationals. I've I've been asked like, if the Orioles moved, what would you do? And the first thing that pops in my head is, I just stop watching baseball. They're trying to make it. Major League Baseball makes it hard for you to watch games. They don't want you to be a fan of this sport, and. If the Orioles move, then that will be Major League Baseball saying, just we don't the Nationals, Joe. I'm, I won't. I won't do it. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I let you talk about your favorite team there, which I'm rooting for this season, though I will probably still talk crap to you. My Pirates, if some of these young arms that they have here can pop, which I have seen happen before, we've seen happen on teams before, like they they could be around. They have this nucleus in the middle of the team with Reynolds and O'Neill Cruz and um, the Hayes guy. Like, they actually have a little bit of pop in their lineup. So I'm, I'm not like completely down. I think last week I said they're already eliminated and that's just the only time I'm pessimistic uh, basically, but I like some of the pieces they have that the Hayes guy have really had a great spring and started out fine. So like yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic. So I'm going to ride my optimism for two or three weeks here with the pirates. I would just love to see some of these arms put something together, which is not out of the question. It's not impossible you know, there was a stretch there where the Pirates were vying for playoff spots like three out of four years and getting in that wild card game. Like that that's the ceiling. I mean, that's that's the all I can hope for is some position like that. I with an extra playoff team, like it it gives me just a percentage more hope. Do I really see it happening? Probably not. But I, it's the opening week, you know, you're supposed to have hope. So so I do. Um interesting series coming up. They what? did win on opening day. I mean, I, I we watched that game. One of the the host of our opening day festivities was a Reds fan, and he's marrying a Pirates fan, so that made for an interesting opening day game. Um, but I will say, like that, you're talking about the young arms. One of the young arms that was good, and unfortunately, he couldn't go five innings. They had to pull him. Was the starter Keller? Yeah. And I mean, that's yeah. one where I was like, man, what are you doing? Like, you are this guy is out of bullets. And she's like, well, he's the only pitcher we have. And I was like, yeah. okay, but. And they ended up coming back I, and winning after blowing the lead. But, yeah, O'Neill Cruz hoping. is good. He's on my fantasy team. Uh, Brian Reynolds is on my fantasy team. I got the good Pirates. I got Brian Reynolds. I I was optimistic. I was watching a bit of the game today, too. And I just I, – there's some pieces to like. There's some pieces to like. And I, I, beginning of last year, I don't know if I saw that. So that's why I'm trying to carry a little bit of optimism here with this. Um, interesting series around the sport this week. Philly plays New York here during the week and Atlanta at St. Louis during the week here. So two interesting series here uh, on the weekdays here that to, to watch out for on the, on the national stage. Um, all right. So baseball, baseball's been dominating my life. Phillies, Phillies became the third team ever to start. zero and three in the yeah, wild card era Texas in the wild card era. Yeah. Texas might be pretty good. Um, yeah. That's why speaking of investments, there was a special on uh, or one of the features you could do was who was going to have the least amount of wins this season. And I said the A's just because I looked at that division and I was like, Astros are good. Mariners are good. Rangers are good. Angels should be good. A's. No. Yeah. So you look at that and you're like, OK, four pretty good teams, one bad team. Take the really yeah. bad team. Um, and I and the I Nationals the are going to give them a run I for like, their money like the there. there. Yeah, the Nats will give them a run for their money in that department, although they did win today against the Braves. Um, I I will say this. We watched another fan that was there was a Braves fan, and another fan, another guy that was there was a Nats fan. So that was another opening day showdown in the, in the room. We didn't have a Red Sox fan there, which is probably for the best. Um, but... I have never seen so many generic creative player names as I have on the Washington Nationals. <laughs> I'm telling you, I I fancy myself somewhat of a baseball fan. And I wa- watching that game, I was like, 
I don't know who any of these people are. Like, I, I think I recognized maybe four of the players in the starting lineup for the Washington Nationals, and one of those was because of the World Baseball Classic. And I was like, yeah, man. They're a triple-A lineup. They are a triple-A lineup. One of the names I recognized was Lane Thomas, and that's a guy I shouldn't recognize other than I went to a game last year at Nats Park, and he was playing in the outfield, and I was making the joke. Um, my brother's girlfriend did not think it was funny that Lane Thomas is not a real person, that that is a creative player from MLB The Show that they have 3D printed and thrown into the outfield. They need Jeff Dowd then. That was the I old, mean, yeah, that's the ultimate. San Francisco giant yeah. left fielder. Jeff Dowd was the ultimate. That, that weary dude. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this Lane Thomas guy is just a total chucklehead. Um, yeah, he's weird. Yeah. So what's been dominating your life? Oh, what's been dominating my life? I'll do the entertainment aspect, I guess. Um, How about it? A show on Netflix called Night Agent. I would actually recommend this to you. Um, it's it's a pretty good action suspense show. Um, it's 10 episodes. Uh, the way it ended, I would guess they're going to try to do a season two out of it. Um, but I thought season one was good. Were the twists and turns that shocking? Not really. But I thought the storyline was interesting enough. And there were enough twists and turns. That I was like, okay. Um, the the big reveal was one of the least surprising reveals to me because I saw it coming from the beginning of the show. I was like, yep, that's going to happen. And it does um, near the end of the show when it really starts to pick up. But there's not a lot of dull moments in the show for 10 episodes. It yeah. it plays, um, the, the premise is there is an FBI agent uh, that helps this civilian. The civilian has her aunt and uncle end up getting assassinated. Um, they're agents. And she calls this FBI agent's uh, like crisis line, and he saves her. And then they try to uncover who's behind the assassinations of these agents and all these other things that are going on. Um, so I, I enjoyed it. I really liked it. Uh, I think it was one of the top shows on Netflix this week uh, when it debuted. So I would say if you have time, if you like thrillers, and, uh, you know, high-paced action, Night Agent on Netflix. Give it a look. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. All right. Uh, talk about yours. Talk about your what you need to know. All right. Well, I haven't watched the episode for this week yet because we've recorded before I did. Um, although when we get done, I'll probably watch it on HBO. Uh, Succession is back. This is supposed to be the final season of Succession. This is kind of the opposite of Night Agent, where Night Agent does have people that you can root for. Um, <laughs> Succession yeah. has no one you can root for. It's just different levels of bad. In fact, maybe the most likable person is just kind of an idiot, and you don't really root for him either. Um, but I, I really dig this show. I don't know if you've watched it at all. I watched early first couple episodes, and uh, and then realized just. Yeah, I think it hit at a bad time of, like, a lot of shows with like, no likable characters kind of situation. I don't <laughs> mind those shows, but, yeah, this one in particular is... It was stacking is, up on us back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this one in particular is just... Whew, um, I, I'm really looking forward to this last season. I, I thought the first episode was slow in parts, but 
it's kind of setting up what the storyline is going to be and what the major events of this season are going to be to close it out. And I think it's going to be really good. And uh, I'm excited for the final season of succession on HBO. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I don't want to get it ruined for I me. Mean, not that you are doing that, but I, I do think we could maybe come back to that at some point. Cause you like, absolutely should. Yeah. I, again, yes. The characters do not get more likable Leland. Yeah. There are moments where they try to humanize some of them and you're like, no, but we're kind of off all the other shows that have that. Cause honestly, we just have been off Yellowstone for a while and <laughs> I forget what other shows we were watching. Um, but like, so we might have a space in there for the one show where everybody's, you know, we dislike everybody. We got, Maisel coming back coming up so we're excited about that justified is going to have their season coming up uh they're you know come back to season so i don't know if i want that eh, i'll watch it. it i'll watch it I'm but good. i don't know if that's i like that i like raylan i like that i do too but i, I so i'm interested to see it back i thought the show yeah, ended when it needed to end weird. i thought it was starting to get kind of like yeah. a little repetitive and so like it's like my fear with The Office, right? Everyone's like, oh, we want a reunion episode or we want, you know, a reboot. No. Yeah. My, my encouraging things with the justified um, revisit is kind of what I want to call it, um, is that they really dove into um, the writing, uh, and I'm blanking on the guy's name, uh, that wrote, like, the uh, the inspiration for justified. Um, but there was like an additional book that he had that um, they're going to like, that's what they're like really digging into is, is what that is. So like, I'm optimistic that it can be um, Elmore, Leonard Elmore, Elmore Leonard. Um, Which yeah, one is I it? it wrong. I read it the wrong way. Elmore Leonard. Um, <laughs> okay. I said it the wrong way. My, my Reddit uh, with the comma and <laughs> the comma was in the wrong place. Uh, anyway. They're digging into like that. So like the, I think what helped the story of early justified and, and stuff like that, it seems like they're focused on that. So I, I'm optimistic. It's probably not going to be the as good as season two of that show. Cause that was one of the more enjoyable seasons of TV that I've remember, but I'm, I'm hopeful, but yeah, we have some rewatches to do ahead of justified and Maisel coming back and also Ted Lasso's out there. So a bunch of that. Um, what I know that you need to know, which I'm sure everybody already knows. Tyler Nickel hit that portal. We touched on that an episode or two ago of the podcast. Well, he already made his college decision of where he's going next. And I like to think it's where he should have gone to begin with Virginia tech. Uh, we had been hearing during his recruiting process initially that Virginia tech was the leader. And um, I think his parents have Virginia tech ties and stuff like that. But then it was the visit down to UNC that really convinced him that UNC is where he needed to be uh, after a year there which I wouldn't call in no way what I call like he failed down there or anything like that. He got playing time. He was a freshman on a roster with a lot of good players. I just, he probably saw a bunch of McDonald's all Americans coming in the locker room and realized, you know, playing time is not going to get any easier. And uh, he didn't get a whole lot of that last season. So maybe find a better fit for what his skills are going to do for a team. And he chose Virginia tech. I like that. He's there. Because of the fact that we covered him in high school for in his high school career, I can reference that he's local. We're gonna have a lot of the local ties, and I think he can be good there. Now, if he would have chose somewhere else, I wouldn't be cursing his name. I wouldn't be, you know, yelling that he he messed us up twice. Uh, I want to do. I want him to be successful. So whatever was gonna be right for him, 
but it encourages me that he thinks Virginia Tech is the right spot for him. So uh, it, I, I'm excited to see what he can do for us. There's a lot of recruits for Virginia Tech. I'm excited to see what can do for us. So I don't mind him being one of them, and uh, we'll see what that produces. Yeah, I think uh, this is welcome news. This is exciting, um, yeah. and I think Virginia Tech is a place where he'll definitely get some more minutes and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully be able to be a huge contributor for the Hokies and you know, kind of imprint – uh, his abilities on the ACC. I, by like you said, I didn't leave this year thinking, oh, maybe Tyler Nickel isn't cut out for ACC play. I, I was not the impression that I got. Yeah. Um, it was just North Carolina's a really hard place to get on the floor because they've got a lot of good players. They were a team that went to and the everybody's coming back. I mean, like, everybody's coming. Well, most saying. of the players are coming okay. back. You not, have yeah. McDonald's All Americans coming in. It's going to be even more difficult, and so. He can go to Virginia Tech. Um, Eric Green went to Virginia Tech and was ACC Player of the Year on a right. on a year where they won two games, both of them against Miami. Um, so it's not saying you can't have success outside of North Carolina, and if you have success outside of North Carolina, it doesn't mean or it means you're just not as good. Um, it might be a thing of honestly, when Virginia Tech plays North Carolina, he probably has some extra motivation there. Um, like it, which is good for Virginia Tech. That seems to be a team they get up oh. to play anyway. Um, and hopefully, uh, Mike Young can bring Tyler Nickel in. He'll help with the shooting that the Hokies need. Uh, I don't think you become the all-time leading scorer in the state of Virginia by accident. So I think that Tyler Nickel will hopefully be able to really, uh, just have a great, great career at Virginia Tech and that can pull vault his NBA career. I, I hope so as well, and I think that's going to take multiple years at Virginia Tech, and I think that's the right place to do it. So I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, my What is dominating my life next week will be the Masters. It's Masters week, so I know Joe's not as excited as I am, so I won't talk about it two weeks in a row, and I, I don't know what to preview. Uh, what is it? Scotty Sheffer won it last year. Yeah. I, I doubt he repeats, but, you know, he's has as good a chance as anybody right now, and he, he's playing decent golf. Um I wouldn't waste your money betting on Tiger if I'm <laughs> telling people to bet stuff, but um, you know, strange things happen at the Masters, so uh, we'll see what happens. And I'm excited about it. Um, I think Rory. If if I had to put anything on on a name that we all know, Rory's kind of one of the guys I think has been eyeing a comeback. I don't know if this week's the time that it's going to reach up, but it'd be cool if it did. So I, I was I like Rory, so I'll root for him and. As we get closer to Thursday, maybe pick who I want to put some money on. I think John Rahm has a good shot. Yeah. I saw a three-way bet with McElroy, Rahm, and it's probably Scheffler. And I was it, it was enticing. To so. make the cut? No, to win it. One of those One three of those to win three. it? Yeah. It was a three-way, like, three-way bet. I like. I mean, it was interesting. It was I like two of those. Yeah. I really don't think Rory does, um, but who yeah. knows? I will pay attention to the Masters more than the average golf tournament. So maybe that means I watch. Hey, I mean, that's the one I pay the most attention to, it, and I am a pretty decent golf fan, so I get that. Yeah, I love the course. I have video game with that course, so I feel like I know it <laughs> that much more. Um, it being on Easter weekend makes it tough on on Sunday, just with uh, the meals that I have planned on Sunday. 
to attend and Easter egg hunts. I mean, I'm gonna have to beat some kids at Easter egg hunts. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be fun. It, it, I always love Masters Week. I love. I like the stupid stuff. I like the stuff you roll your eyes at when they have Jack Nicholas and um, the guys on the first tee on what is it Monday or Tuesday morning and all that kind of kicking off the week and stuff. I I love it. I guess that they don't do that till Thursday, but they, they just have stuff all week at the par three tournament and stuff like that. I, I like all that stuff. I'm, I'm into it. Well, enjoy it. And on that note, with my high review of the masters, uh, that will do it on this week's episode of the Yak Sports podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Podbean, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, or Spotify so you never miss another episode. You can find us on Twitter at Yak Sports Pod, Facebook, Yak Sports Pod, that's Y A C Sports Pod. Or you can email us, yaksportspod at gmail.com. Until then, folks, have a great rest of your week and happy Easter to those who celebrate. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.